This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales, because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is... Fear! Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, alternative media for discerning minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again for another year on our third season. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to wish everyone around the world the best new year yet. And to all our members, thank you for your loyalty and support. For months, many of you have been contacting me asking for a show on astrology. We did one. It was actually our third show back in January of 2009. Since then, we haven't done another one. And since this is the beginning of a new year, what a great time to do a show on the topic of astrology. But I have to be honest, we are flooded by tabloid astrology, which is what gives real and ancient astrology a bad name. But tonight, you will hear someone who puts respect and credence to this topic. Perhaps you will look at astrology the same way again. Did you know the principle of astrology was proven to be scientific? Tonight's special guest is Jeff Harmon. Jeff will be with us shortly. To listen to tonight's full show with Jeff Harmon, 
all our shows, 112 of them. Become a member. Simply go to our website, veritasshow.com, and click on subscribe. What a great way to start the year. Just think of where you spend $7 per month or 23 cents per day. The knowledge you will be acquiring by listening to our shows is priceless, and it will change your life. Don't take my word for it. Take a look at our guest book and find out for yourself. If you only listen to half the show, you're only getting half of the story. You can choose between the mainstream media or alternative media for discerning minds. That's what we are. If you want to wake up to the real world, don't wait any longer. Just go to VeritasShow.com and click on the subscribe link and take Veritas with you. And now it's easier than ever. If you have an iPod or an audio player, just click on the iTunes link or the RSS feed to load this to your player every week. And for existing subscribers, let me remind you once again that when you subscribe to a renewing subscription, it automatically charges you every three months. You are getting a 25% discount, $7 or one month free from a regular non-renewing $28 subscription. However, if you cancel a discounted subscription, the system will block you regardless of how long you have left. That is the trade-off. You'll enjoy the discount and access as long as the subscription is active. And with the beginning of the year, I also want to send a big thank you to our good friend Vic Giza. He's the artist behind EXO and his weekly adventures. Vic does this great work on a voluntary basis, and I'm amazed at his talent and imagination. In a chaotic world, Vic brings a smile every week. So Vic, here's to another year, and I wish you and your family the best in the new year. We all look forward to your fantastic talent every week. Thank you. And I don't have to tell you how cold the weather is, even in the desert, where it should be mild. It's colder than ever. Buy MMS right from us. And for those of you who keep hearing me say MMS and have no idea what I'm talking about, do me a favor. Go to the past shows and look for a show with Jim Humble, entitled Jim Humble versus the FDA. Listen to that and you'll know why I'm so enthusiastic about this. It worked for me when I needed it. That's all I can say. And if you need health supplements, our new source guarantees their quality with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And you can buy as much as you need and only pay $5.95 for shipping. Thanks for all your feedback. I told you this new find was a gem. Check them out. And in a few weeks, we'll have Season 2 ready to ship on the futuristic 8GB metal-cased USB drive. For now, I just have a few left with Season 1. I should be receiving the new shipment with Season 2 very soon. Go to the Veritas store and find out what else we offer. Coffee mugs, shirts, caps, you name it, it's there. And one last thing for iTunes users. When you click on the iTunes link, just let iTunes do the rest. However, it will only download the first segment automatically. It's just the way iTunes is designed. To download the second segment, either double-click on the second segment or on the Get button. That way, you download the latest show from there every week without having to navigate anywhere else. Of course, it's nice when you visit a guest page and see what they have to offer. But for downloading, the new process can't get any easier. And if you want to get in touch with me, click on the Contact button of our website and join me on Facebook. Nice.
and I have an announcement to make. You may have heard me say that I will be appearing on the History Channel on Brad Meltzer's Decoded, a very popular show. Well, they just contacted me tonight. The date has changed. Instead of Thursday, January the 20th, it's going to be next week. On Thursday, January the 13th at 10 p.m. 9 central. I presume the date was changed because the show deals with prophecies. If you haven't watched this show, I encourage you to do so. They deal with similar topics to ours. For example, last night's show was about D.B. Cooper. And uh, the next few shows are Ancient Prophecies, which is ours, then Culper Spy Ring, and then Bohemian Grove. Again, tune in. This will be my very first TV appearance on behalf of the Veritas show, and I'll be discussing you guessed it, the web bot. So Cliff High, if you're listening, find your closest neighbor a few miles away and borrow a TV just for that night. I had a great time doing this segment and, and Buddy Cohen, one of the stars of the show, a university professor, he's the one interviewing me. He's an author and you will be hearing Buddy on Veritas very soon, discussing one of his books. So tune in and let me know what you think. Next Thursday, January the 13th, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Central, on the History Channel. Brad Melters, Decoded. And now, get ready to decode the future with ancient astrology, which is not tabloid astrology. Did you know that recently the principle of astrology was proven to be scientific? Planetary position imprints biological clocks on mammals. What's in store for this year, 2012, and beyond? If you can't consider the impossible as possible, don't go anywhere. Jeff Harmon is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. and you're listening to Veritas, which means truth. That's what it means. Jeff Harmon is a professional astrologer who practices a combination of ancient techniques, including traditional or classical Western astrology, Kabbalistic and Vedic astrology. He has mastered these methods despite the difficulty of working with tedious translations of ancient texts and complex terminology. He also uses astrolocation to map a person's best geographic locations. Jeff has over 30 years experience as his second generation in the art. Clients all over the world consult with him regarding business and personal matters. These include celebrities in the worlds of film, publishing and music, as well as doctors, lawyers and entrepreneurs. Jeff has been a member of the American Federation of Astrologers, the Council of Vedic Astrologers, 
the National Council of Geocosmic Research, and the International Association of Business Astrologers. He has appeared on television, radio, and web shows, and has presented for groups such as IONS, MUFON, and the Association of Celebrity Personal Assistants. And directly from Tucson, Arizona, I'm privileged to have on this very first show of the year, season three, I would like to introduce Jeff Harmon. Hello, Jeff, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Oh, very good. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And Jeff, this is the first show of the year. A lot of my listeners have been asking me, Mel, when are you going to do a show on astrology? We haven't done it in a couple of years, so I'm glad that I found the right person. But tell us, Jeff, how is it somebody like you, when you were young, how did you get into the astrology realm? That's an interesting story. Um, actually, when I in the 70s, I was really interested in science, and I had studied a lot of physics and uh, acoustics. I was into acoustic design and also psychoacoustics, and I had, in the 80s, done quite a bit of work in forensics uh, work with acoustics, with um, local and state government agencies, and also a little bit with the FBI and the uh, Department of Justice, I, and I was really of a scientific mind. But what got me into it, to answer your question, was my mother. Uh, in the mid-'70s, I had a lot of experiences where she would tell me things about uh, girlfriends that I'd be going out with, and she was just too accurate to be, um, you know, I, I said, come on, this is a little too accurate to be, you know, uh, mother's intuition. I said, how are you doing this? And then on top of that, I had seen a lot of medical astrology journals laying around the house. Um, my mother was actually an RN, and she got into hemodialysis, and um, she was an avid studier of, of astrology and had many documents that doctors were trying to get the AMA and the medical community to at least look at the data in medical astrology to use it as a tool. And of course, we know now, 40 years later, that's not happening yet. But um, that really intrigued me. And, and what happened is I had a studio in the early 80s, uh, which did commercials and again, a lot of audio design work and so on and so forth for various um, different organizations around the country. And um, I was paralleling studying astrology and combining it with watching events based on people and also business events. And I was actually astounded at how accurate it was because, like I said you know, before, I was really very much left brain back then and, and you know, was trusted in science. And I have a lot of respect for science. I mean, um, I, I'm not a double E or anything, electrical engineer, but I, I've had a lot of, of experience and uh, work in the electronic fields and the acoustical and um, I can tell you, science works. It, it definitely is repeatable. It has brought, the, I think, civilization some amazing things. But on the other hand, uh, most hard scientists would look at astrology, if they're not familiar with it, and probably say, this is a bunch of errant crap. They can't even go there, right? But when, when the, the people want to take the time to look at the science of astrology, and I do call it a science because it really is, especially the ancient astrology, much, much, much more of a science than anything uh, that I see in modern, uh, the modern kind of newspaper tabloid astrology. And um, in fact, I always have a nickname. I call modern astrology 
and not all of it, by the way, but I, I call some of the modern newspaper stuff love, light, and cluelessness because it's it's basically, <laughs> it's fine. The love and light part's good, but it, it really is pretty airy-fairy. And, uh, but, but back to the answer to your question, and I'll make it a little more brief here. I, I looked at the parallel going on between the mundane world, in other words, what we call reality, and how accurate it was. For instance, I'll give you an example. Business deals that were commenced at certain times would play out amazingly accurately to what the chart happened. In fact, um, our forefathers were quite well aware of this. Um, you know, I, I've got documentation back, you know, basically a couple thousand years that shows uh, generals, uh, emperors, presidents, you know, kings relied quite heavily on on astrology when they would uh, coronate, when they would um, build a castle, lay the foundations of something important, get married, um, especially in war. We got a lot of data in war, and the human race is enamored with war. So sure. it, it certainly uh, is, is, I mean, if history could be rewritten, it, it'd be amazing. I mean, and, and this isn't just my opinion. I can actually show you chapter and, and uh, you know, page that, that it's on. But it's it's very important to differentiate, uh, and I'm glad you you brought it up, Jeff, that there's a big difference between tabloid astrology and real astrology. Tabloid astrology, folks, is what you see in newspapers. For example, the position of Saturn today is going to make you win the lottery and that kind of thing. That's not real astrology. Explain the difference. Well, you know, it, you you got to be careful even with the term real astrology. I, I think the the real ones out there right now, from all that we can tell, and, and there's a I should mention there's a huge resurgence that has been happening. It, it kind of started in the mid '90s. Um, I actually saw it coming as early as the mid '80s, but um, essentially there was a re almost excavation of a lot of ancient documents that many professors and translators were doing in universities, and it's still going on as we speak. Um, and what's happened is they've, they've been finding a lot of old transcripts and documents of astrologers who go all the way back to Egypt, the Middle East, Arabia, um, Basra, Iraq, which was way before uh, where Baghdad got created, uh, all the way up through basically Chaldea and and uh, what we'd call Arabia before World War One and uh, Egypt and uh, into uh, all of Europe and I would say right up to probably the 1700s. It's just an amazing track there, and, and it's referred to as classical or traditional astrology. That's kind of the coined phrase that everybody's using these days. Traditional or classical, in my opinion, is either Middle Eastern or it's Egyptian. And, you know, there's all kinds of theories. Some people say it's Hellenistic. Some people say it's, you know, Persian. Some people say it's, you know, Mesopotamian, all that. I... I my personal take is, and I can't be 100% sure, but it sure is all pointing towards the Middle East and Egypt, that there was a great body of knowledge that came out of there. The other tract is the what they call Vedantic astrology, which is known as Jyotisha, which um, Jyotisha is a Sanskrit word which means the science of light. It's um, It's a whole branch of the ancient 
and I, I wouldn't, you know, a lot of people say it's Hindu, but it, it appears to even maybe be pre-religion. It's, it's extremely ancient. Uh, a lot of people are, might be familiar with like the Bhagavad Gita and the Rig Veda and the Upanishads. These are just some of the documents that are, exist in old India. And, um, you know, China, too, has a huge um, background in astrology, numerology, and, and so on and so forth. So does Tibet. And uh, we, we find the, these older civilizations really have a rich, rich past and history. And what's proving it is the documents that are being translated, all these, all these various languages. And um, as, as we examine these, we're finding a thread, a really cohesive thread of astrology that's consistent, for the most part, in its methods. And, oh my God, it's, it's so much more uh, complex than modern astrology and scientific because it was based on astronomical stuff, not just... Here's an example. Today, an astrologer might look at your sun sign and a various number of things, and, they, and I'm, I'm not saying all modern astrologers do this, but a lot of them tend to espouse on this tirade of what they think it means from you know, the sign interpretations and the sun sign and all this. Whereas if you go to an ancient astrologer, they would use extremely scientific methods, meaning very specific um, delineation tools to come up and answer your question. Like, for instance, in ancient astrology, one of the most formidable tools is something referred to as answering questions. They didn't care what time you were born. You didn't need your birth chart. In fact, most of the uh, emperors and kings and people who would come to an astrologer, you know, pre-1700, they didn't have a, a birth certificate from the hospital because they weren't born in one. <laughs> you know, they were born in, in their house or God only knows where mom happened to have the baby. And the clocks back then were, well, there may not even have been clocks. I mean, they were using sundials back pre-1600, you know. And um, they were literally taking the shadow on a sundial. So, I mean, today we have the accuracy of clocks, and now, of course, with the atomic clocks and cell phones, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a whole different world. But they would use horary astrology, which would literally be, you could break your mind with the consciousness and ask a question, and it could be anything under the sun. Where's my dog? Am I going to win this war? You know, and uh, that stuff works today absolutely amazing. I, I do a lot of readings for clients. They don't have their birth time. Even if I do have it, I won't even look at their chart until afterwards. I'm basically answering questions. That's probably one of the most powerful tools that ancient astrology has given us. But if we have to go back in time, if it was an invention or a discovery, how far in time can we go in terms of when was astrology devised or who came up with it? That's a good question. I don't have a snappy answer to that. The only thing I can tell you is maybe the Kabbalah and the Vedantic um, materials give us some answers. There's a, in Hebrew, Sefer means book, and um, there is a, a document called the Sefer Ratziel, which means the book of the Archangel Ratziel. And it's unquestionably full of angels and spirits that rule the various seasons. Um, there are 
angels that rule the the new moon to the full, then from the full to the new and the quarters. Uh, it's a document that's actually staggering. And you look at it at first and go, geez, how could this be? But what's fascinating is I believe you can do this in other languages. I don't know how to do it. But in Aramaic or Hebrew, you can actually extract the name of your guardian angel from the chart. And it's not a theory of mine. It's actually penned in several books that I have um, that actually show you how to do it. And um, you, you basically reorder the 22 Aramaic letters, or Hebrew, if you will, around the chart and where you, you use a, a method of delineating where your inner seven planets fall, and you can actually extract the name of the guardian angel. And there's ways you can actually look at karmic so-called um, spirits that taunt the person or maybe are around the person, you know, because of what they call karmas. And, you know, again, people listening to this might say, well, this sounds incredible, but then we have modern practitioners um, who are trained psychiatrists and psychologists who do regression therapy or hypnosis therapy, and they'll get people under hypnosis. And one doctor that comes to mind is Dr. Louise Fry. Uh, she wrote a book called Freeing the Captives, which is absolutely documented with cases where she would run into uh, what she calls disincarnate souls, meaning people that are passed away that are attached to the aura of that person who may be having a, a mental problem. And also she's run into karmic, what they call legions, which seem to be around the soul or the individual that cause a lot of issues in that person's life. Like the person may be uh, schizophrenic or they may be, you know, an alcoholic or drug addict or whatever it might be. You know, most people don't get this done to them, but it's pretty interesting to look at the evidence uh, that is not just by her, but Dr. Carl Wickland is another one who wrote the book 30 Years Among the Dead, probably one of the most famous psychiatrists um, ever to pen such a voluminous, well-written book. Um, the reason the book's called 30 Years Among the Dead is because it actually has 30 years of his clinical cases being cured by him clearing the patient of entities and or other uh, spiritual attachments, and then they would clear up. And the pharmaceutical industry doesn't want to hear about that. No, of course. The pharmaceutical and the medical industry doesn't want to hear about that. No, they don't. I'm no expert, Jeff, but I think there must be a correlation between astronomy and astrology. I've heard that you can be an astronomer without being an astrologer, but you cannot be an astrologer without being an astronomer. Is this true? Yeah. Well, that's correct. Um, You know, astronomy today is a really wonderful science, but it, I mean, most astronomers that I've met, I mean, they'll look at you like, you know, you're out of your tree if you start talking about astrology. Right. They just don't want to hear about it. And I think there's been a division. Um, in fact, I want to get into this later, if, if you want to, talking about where the world's at right now in consciousness and, and where maybe astrology might give us some insights. Um Ever since 1700, about 1702, there was an astrological conjunction that has kind of led the world consciously in a different direction. And that parallels science. Science, you know, and Darwin was, you know, part of that. There there was a lot of things that happened scientifically right around those times. In fact, Galileo was an astrologer. Everybody knows him in the history books as an astronomer. 
but he actually was an astrologer. There was many, many of Newton was too. Um, you know, Nicholas Culpepper, who wrote The Herbal, was an avid astrologer, and they do not have any of his astrology books on the shelf. We certainly have his herbals, but, um, yeah, there's always been a division between science and astrology and mysticism, or it's been kept very secret, let's put it that way. Why do you think? Is it because of religious repercussions? Partially, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think the religions have, um, maybe George Carlin was right when he said the best thing that came out of the religions was the music. because it, it, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the late George Carlin, great man. Yeah, I actually I actually knew George. I worked with him a number of times. In fact, all my office uh, filing cabinets are from him. He, he was oh, a character, yeah. Yes. But anyhow, um, yeah, he's, he's uh, definitely gone now. But um, I, I would say... I don't know why it is, but religions probably have a lot to do with it. And I think people do, too. It's it's the dogmatic, you know, the whole modern consciousness, and, and I'm not speaking, there's a lot of really conscious people out there, but it's kind of been the materialistic, he with the most toys dies wins attitude. And, and all there is is what we see in front of us. And... The interesting thing is, is most people don't think about, you know, the the other spiritual side of who we really are until they got cancer, until a crisis happens. You know, it, it, I, I see it in astrology. So, some of the clients that I have only call me because some other client told them to call me. And they, I can tell they don't even believe in what I'm doing. They, they think it's a bunch of crap. But they'll use it because they've seen it work for somebody else. You know, these are usually hardcore business people. And then once they see that it has some value to them in some way, shape, or form, they use it again. But they could care less how I get it. They're just using it to acquire more material goods, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with money, and there's, you know, nothing wrong with, with acquiring things. But one thing's for certain, we all come to this world with nothing, and we will probably leave with nothing. You are not going to take it with you. And there's nothing wrong with having abundance in the meantime. But if we, I think if we don't be aware that, you know, we're really, that's the ancient philosophy. They actually said astrology is not us. It's actually, we're spiritual beings having a physical experience. And that astrology really is just where we're at in, in the, the illusion of time in that experience as a soul. Yeah, and it's important to mention also, yes, and it's important to mention that people like Ronald Reagan, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, use astrology in order to make decisions. And even folks, if you go back just a few years ago, you probably have heard about the farmer's calendar. Oh, where yeah, the farm farmers, almanac. Yeah. the almanac, the almanac, they would actually wait for a certain time of the day and the moon before they plant their seeds. Why is it that then so many people frown upon anybody who deals with astrology? I, I don't know. I, I think part of it might have been uh, some of the religions basically didn't want anybody doing anything that uh, was out of their direct control. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I can tell you there's one astrologer that I have. His, his name is Firmicus Maternus, and he's back, I think he's from the about 700 A.D., and they found that out under one of the Pope's uh, beds when he died. So they're certainly into it. The Pope takes a bathtub 
our bath in this bathtub that has astrological signs surrounding it. And I think the Vatican is probably one of the more um, you know stocked libraries of occult knowledge in the world. It's it's pretty amazing. But isn't it hypocritical? I don't mean to interrupt you. That they have all this that the Pope's sleeping and underneath he had this uh, this document. Again, anybody from the the church that spews anything about astrology is called a pagan or superstitious, right, and yeah. it's frowned upon. That's absolutely right. Well, you know, this this goes again. I mean, look at um, even Hollywood. I, I know Hollywood is really close to the vest. Um, they don't want people knowing that they do astrology. In fact, I actually tell clients, do not tell your attorney, your banker, your doctor that's using astrology because most astrologers are going to look at you like you're, or, I mean, doctors or professionals may look at you like you're nuts. Not all of them. I actually have quite a few of them that are really into it. Um, like, for instance, I do a lot of what we call electional astrology for clients who are either signing contracts, taking trips. Um, I've, I've got some people, that, you know, they're A-list actors, and, and you know, define define electional astrology first. Uh, electional astrology is just like it sounds: electing a specific time at which to mm. commence an event, i.e., okay. getting married, taking trips, um, buying a house. I mean, you don't use this every day to take out the garbage. What you use it for is when you do important life changing events. In other words, things that you're going to be at the effect of for years to come. When we buy, when we get married, we're at the effect of that, you know, contract for years to come. And boy, I, the report card's in on that one. I, I actually had one Hollywood executive, he was going to get married. And then he thought afterwards, he called me up and said, Jeff, he says, I'm going to get married on this day. He says, is this a good day? And I said, well, I don't know. Let me look at it. So I looked at it and I said, no, I said, whatever you do, don't marry her on this day. Said, See, we look at a, astrological geometric configurations and see the eastern horizon represents whomever's commencing an act and the western horizon is whom you're going to marry or sign a contract with well the rulers of those two constellations which move quite quickly i might add because the earth is rotating on its axis close to 1600 miles an hour or depending on where you are in the globe about that on average anyhow um long story short it better to be doing something lovely or you don't want to do it. And you better have the moon doing something good too. So he said, what am I going to do? He says, this isn't a good day. And I said, well, here's what you do. I said, go grab whoever it is or somebody that's licensed to marry you and go marry her on this day before. So he did. He grabbed her and went down the Pacific Palisades of the ocean, married her on this day. Everything went perfect. And then they still held the ceremony. The family flew in and everything. He says, nobody knew that we were already married. We already filed the marriage license on that day and time. So, you know, then it was just a celebration. You see? So, and, and people might think, well, you know, this is a little uh, so-called um, superstitious. It's not. It's no different than an airline pilot who's taken off from the control tower. If he looks at a weather report and says, hey, we got sure winds coming in, well, okay, there's two decisions. You either don't fly, or if you do, don't break out the coffee until we get up to 37,000 and we got clear. Or, or we might want to take it to 38,000, you see? So it's, it's really just data or information that you position yourself with. Before the 
we started the show. We spoke on the phone, and I told you that I just received yesterday a uh, from my newswire a very interesting piece of headline. And let me just, folks, read it to you for a moment. It says, "Principle of astrology proven to be scientific." planetary position in imprints biological clocks of mammals and it says skeptics must be further bewildered by the new research published in nature neuroscience and conducted at vanderbilt university which unintentionally provides scientific support for the fundamental principle of, of astrology namely that the position of the planets at your time of birth influences your personality once again such an idea sounds preposterous to the scientifically trained unless of course they discover it from themselves at which point it's all suddenly very scientific Instead of calling it astrology, they're now referring to it as seasonal biology. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I've, there's a lot of studies out about it. But let me say one thing. Skeptics are skeptics, and they're likely to remain skeptics because, you know, there's there's no reality. There's only perception. And if somebody's really, you know, not believing something, you know, they're, they're very hard-pressed to, to change their mind. And, and, you know, I'm not holding any torch for astrology. There's plenty of people that believe in it and see its you know validity. I, I actually have over four, I think I'm pushing close to 5,000 horary charts, and horary is questions. It, it's, it's the Latinized term for meaning how you ask questions to an astrologer. And i got to tell you, the only ones I've ever seen wrong is if I wasn't careful enough to delineate them correctly. I've never seen them wrong. They're right on. Well, I can what is the difference? So stories. It's, it's amazing. What is the difference between election, uh, electional astrology and horary astrology? Real, well, in, in India, they call it prashna. It's, they're, it's just asking questions. In other words, prashna or horary astrology is simply when you call somebody up and say, is it in my best interest to take this mm. course of action? Or, you know, should I do this business deal? Or is so-and-so the right partner for me? Or, you know, is it in my best interest to go to Egypt on this trip? Or whatever it is they're going to do. I mean, I've had people call me up with money stolen or objects stolen and said, who took it? Where is it? And I was actually able to get names. I think one well, guy, this seems to be the most practical type of astrology. It's pretty practical. For, right? Yeah, I mean, I've seen it where, you know, lost animals can be found, people. Um, I actually have done quite a bit of forensics work in it where missing people, um, and, you know, some of that's kind of sad, but, you know, there was one particular uh, situation where, you know, they wanted to know, is the missing person going to be found? And I said, yeah, but you're not going to like the outcome, and the person was deceased. They died. And not a- T- Tell us about that story, because that, that's a great story from your background. Well, I can tell you a lot of stories about that. Probably one of the best one um, that is is probably more validated even more was there was a, a Kansas State prosecutor. She was um, working for the district attorney's office in Manhattan, Kansas, and she had uh, called me. God, I think this was about 2002, and was really in an unhappy relationship and had met a new boyfriend but out of respect for the marriage, wasn't going to engage in the new relationship until she got a divorce. And she asked me, um, she was having a hard time with the divorce. And interestingly enough, in this case, I had read, uh, done a personal reading for the uh, husband, who was very angry, and the boyfriend and her, the wife. And, um, you know, it was not a very pleasant situation because he didn't want, he was very angry, the husband. Well, 
anyway, she called me up one day. Uh, I'll never forget. I was in Dana Point, California, and I, I literally cast charts right for what, where I understand them. In other words, the location. That's how that's how that technique is done. And she. The question was, am I going to get out of this relationship and be with my new, um, you know, interest? And I looked at the chart and said, I don't think so. Uh, it's not looking too good. And um, after I had looked at it for a while, when I got back to my office, I called her and said, you know, I think you're in some danger here. And she said, uh, what do you mean? I said, well, this chart looks like you're in a little bit of danger. I'd be really careful here with the X. I think there's some problems. Well, about two months later, she actually moved 75 miles away from him to just be away from him. Um, and they were sharing custody of the daughter. And I'll never forget, I got the call in the fall of 2003, and her boyfriend said, Jeff, you're not going to oh, believe no. what, Yeah, he says, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I said, yes, I might. And he says, Carmen was just murdered. And uh. he didn't know how. So there's another type of astrology called interrogatory, and I had actually cast a chart. And that, that's interrogatory is just like it sounds. You're, you're making an inquiry to what what is the situation and what's happening. And I said, she was probably killed with a knife, and I'll bet it wasn't very pleasant. It was really brutal. And that was the case. He flew to, to Kansas from San Diego, and the coroner you know, said, this is not going to be pleasant, and she was stabbed 27 times in the throat. Oh. And, yeah, this is a college professor, who you know, her husband, who did this. And it, it was on CBS. As a, they did a, a story on it. And he's now serving life plus 20, but it goes even further. They couldn't catch him. It took a year and a half to get this guy because he basically had eluded the FBI and the police and everybody else. And her um, best friends would call me up and say, are they ever going to catch this guy and arrest him? And I I kept seeing in the charts, yes, they're going to get him eventually, but it's going to take time. And they did. And he got life plus 20. So that's a sad one. But I could tell you many stories about different things. There was one missing um, person in Canada not too long ago, and it was interesting because they had said, you know, this little girl, it's kind of a sad story, she was abducted years ago. And there's some people researching as to whether or not these people are ever going to be found or what happened to them. And they never found any remains or anything. And I, I looked at the chart and I said, you know, this may sound strange to you, but I said, I think she's still alive. And I believe that she is somewhere in eastern Canada. So we, we can see things about a quested item, each each divisional house in a chart, they're called terrestrial houses, allows you to identify. And then it starts leaking out further. Well, you know, there may be some truth to that, because we know the grandmother got a call a year and a half after she was abducted from the child saying, Grandma, could you please come and get me? And then a guy grabbed the phone and hung it up. I said, see? So there's more to this than meets the eye. And, you know, people might say, well, geez, how can you get this from a chart? Well, it's all based on consciousness and, and it's it's the universe is an interactive consciousness in my opinion but what are you tapping into that gives you the answers well again it's the ancient astrology is very scientific when somebody poses a question i literally cast a chart that's the ancient method the eastern horizon is the person asking the question referred to as the quarant the division there's 12 houses what we call the terrestrial houses that are approximately 30 degree slices, not exactly that, but um, 
and we read it. See, like the first house is the querent, the second is the querent's money, the third might be brothers or neighbors, the fourth is home family real estate, the fifth is children. Now, I get calls all the time, you know, my son won't talk to me, you know, and then I'll look at the chart and say, well, he's not gonna, or he might next, you know, whenever, depending on what the chart says. See, each house has a constellation on it. There's also 12 constellations, which really don't move. We do, because we're rotating on our axis, plus we're going around the sun. So it's a lot of movement. It's complex stuff. That's why it's very astronomical. And that's how ancient astrology was used. It's used in concert with geometry, very specific geometry, and very specific aspects between what we call geocentric earth-based astrology and a lot of trigonometry involved too i I remember back in the day we call it bc i had to do this stuff by hand and um, you know computers really do make astrology a lot easier it doesn't do it for you but it does the arduous calculations for you that's how you answer it with the economy the way it is i get a lot of email from people asking you know i have this job that i hate right now but it's my only solution to support my family should i quit should i look for another job so these are the types of you get that all the time so you get a lot of these questions somebody wants to invest with another partner somebody wants to get married they have a missing child all this can be answered with horror astrology yeah it really does yeah, and I might add one more thing that's different about the ancient astrology, both of India and of the what I call the Egyptian Middle Eastern track. And that is, there are way more complex tool sets that we use than modern astrology. Modern astrology just uses basically 12 signs, exaltation, and all this stuff. With the ancient, particularly the Chaldean and Egyptian stuff, oh my God, I mean, it's it's like flying an F-18. I mean, there is all kinds of very specific uh, divisional and um, what we'll call uh, specific divisions of the zodiac that are, it's absolutely amazingly complex. And, and there's no way, in my opinion, they got this from sitting on mountaintops watching stars. There's no way. Um, in fact, that brings me back to the question you asked before. Uh, the Sefer, documents like the Seferatziel in the uh, Vedantic um, stuff, there is a lot of documents like the Brihat Samhita and the Upanishads, which really show that angels, you could say they're extraterrestrials, you could say they're spirits, had communicated this stuff to in the east, what they call rishis, which were the seers, and the Kabbalists. In fact, um, many of the old rabbinical documents in Kabbalah are riddled with um, things about the Merkava, about things where they would go into various different converse with angels and, and um, archangels that would communicate this information. I can tell you I'm not smart enough to have ever figured this out. It's way, it's way too um, much of a cohesive system for somebody who have just dreamed it up. And when you see it coming out of Egypt, out of you know, the Middle East, out of Greece, out of Italy, Germany, France, England, you know, all, you know, Tunisia, I mean, there's documents coming in from everywhere. And there's a consistent thread of this very complex, you know, tight system 
And for the most part, it's pretty consistent. I mean, there are some variances with different astrologers in different locations, but but in general, like like one thing that's really relatable to today, the the ancient astrologer out of um, he was actually in Basra, Iraq. His name was Mashallah. He was a Jewish astrologer who actually was involved with a number of other astrologers who. Um, actually did an electional chart, meaning creating the city of Baghdad. This is way back, 700, I think 700, 800 AD. I can't remember the exact dates. But these guys were, they were consultants to kings, you know, um, just amazing stuff. To Hold on, you're saying that they actually created the city of uh, Baghdad based on, on astrology? Well, they gave the uh, initial foundation layers the time at which to commence the act of, of laying the cornerstone, yeah. In fact, George Washington, there's actually a mural of George Washington laying the cornerstone of the foundation of the Capitol at a certain astrological time. This stuff is all kept very secret. You know, it's kind of like the mystery schools. They were very secret. They didn't want the general populace knowing this stuff because, A, they would think it was incredulous, or maybe they just didn't want the people empowered with it. Do you think the same thing happened with Washington, D.C.? We've all seen some some Masonic patterns in that area. You think astrology had to do with it, too? Uh, I do, yeah. And I, I think, you know, not that I'm blaming the Masons for everything, because I think there's a lot more secret societies, you know, than that. And I, I know a lot of people who are Masons who are just fine. And, and it, you know, there's a lot of secret societies out there. And there's, the, you know, now you get into some other areas that I think are... Probably a lot of the reason why there's so much trouble in the world, there's a lot of secret societies who play in the black arts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people think this stuff isn't going on. I can tell you I've ran into quite a bit of it in, in my, my practice of, of doing readings for people, especially using the Jyotish Vedic astrology. I've actually seen that that the Vedic astrology is so different from the Western path. I, I know I've talked a lot about the Egypt and, and uh, Chaldean and, and Middle Eastern European medieval path of astrology, but, oh, my God, the, the ancient Vedantic stuff is just totally different. And you've got to bend your mind around the other way to use that stuff. And, um, man, can you see when things change in a person's life? It's it's really amazing. There's something they have called uh, planetary periods, which are doshas, and uh, I I just have done hundreds of readings where it's just right on. Everybody's playing it like a clock. Now you can vary that, and that's what I also like about the Kabbalah and the Vedantic stuff is it gives you tools that you can use to correct a lot of karmic things. And, and again, this it's all, you know, the way we, we view this stuff. If, if you subscribe that we're spiritual beings having a physical experience, all of a sudden your whole perception shifts. If you think all there is is what's here, well, <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to talk to somebody like that because they're not going to believe anything other than what they think they think they know. And if you don't know what you don't know, well, then sometimes it's, you know, where it is, and, and that's why the ancient astrology gave people who were open to it tools. There was tithing, there was repentance, there was gemstone therapy, there were certain prayers and mantras that you would do, and even just an awareness for who you are immediately changes your whole approach and perception in life.
You know, that's why I always tell people when they listen to this show that for, for the amount of time we're here, that they need to consider the impossible as possible. And after they listen and they go back to their three, 3D world, don't go, get, go back to reality, or as you say, there's no reality, there's perception. But when you look at the Egyptians, you look at the Mayans in Mesoamerica, oh, yeah. and you Great. see how, how much astro, uh, astronomy, they were so developed, they positioned those pyramids and built them in such a way they that they, it's almost more than perfection that we cannot even come close today. Do you think that more than astronomy, they also dealt with as astrology in order to keep their civilization as perfect as it was? Oh, there's no question that uh, the Mayans, a good friend of mine, well, he's not a good friend, but, but as an associate, um, had gone down, a couple of people that I know have gone down and done a lot of research, and they wrote, a, there's a couple of books out on it, where they had really examined in detail, you know, why they built the, um, the Mayan pyramids, where they did in Mexico. And there's no question they had made them align up with Venus. They were extremely concerned with the synodic cycles of Venus. And um, I would tell you that the Mayan calendar does run out uh, next year, you know, right at the end of uh, 2011, uh, beginning of 2012. And there's a lot of concern about that. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are predicting that the axis is going to tip and that we're going to have, you know, increased climatology changes and a lot of um, dissension in the world. And I, I have to agree that I think using the Mayan and also there's something in, in the old techniques. Um, well, Vedic astrology uses what we call yugas. They're actually time periods that um, we look at. In fact, Vedic astrology uses a sidereal zodiac. It's not using the same zodiac that Western astrologers use. It uses something they call an ayanamsha. It's the difference of where our solar system is around a central sun in the Pleiades versus where we are in reference to the seasons of the sun. So, and, and there's, believe me, a lot of secret zodiacs out there that different uh, societies have used. And the Mayans, the sad part about the Mayans is, you know, basically Rome went in there and threw it all in the fire. They decimated the entire culture's historical records. So the only thing they can extract right now um, and I'm speaking from what I've read and, and what people who've actually gone there and studied this, is they're trying to reconstruct the calendar, reconstruct the meanings of the glyphs and some of the cultures. Like there was one thing they had called the Quetzalcoatl myth, which was based on the inferior conjunctions of and superior conjunctions of Venus to the sun from our perspective. And that's what those pyramids line up at, a lot of them. And... Um, Amazing stuff. It, it, the same thing happened in Alexandria, Egypt. They said the bathhouses burned for three weeks, destroying all the historical documents when, when the Holy War sacked Egypt. Same yeah. thing in the Inquisition in Spain. I mean, they, they just threw all the stuff on the fire. So we're lucky to have what we do have, you know. And it makes you wonder, if you're, you're bringing the Library of Alexandria, it really makes you wonder if before the library was burnt, if all that good wisdom was transferred to the Vatican or somewhere where that wisdom is kept hidden from, from the masses. Yeah, I, 
I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I mean, I can't tell you what's in the Vatican, but I'll tell you what we do have. And and I I, I don't in any way want to sound like I'm being dogmatic and religious, but if you this is the thing I like the most about the ancient astrology is it looks at astrology from a much more divine perception. In fact, the Kabbalah really, in my opinion, and so does the Vedantic stuff, have it right. They're basically saying God or divine energy is above everything, and we're not ever going to get smart enough to fully figure it out. That quantum physics is, is validating a lot of really interesting things right now, that you know, they're, they're saying matter acts extremely intelligent when they do many different studies. And it's not just stupid atoms and electrons and neutrinos and all these various different labels we put on, you know, the physical elements. And they're saying it acts intelligent. Well, the Kabbalah says first there's God, then there's the seraphim, cherubims, and the thrones. Those are three, you know, groups of angels within that hierarchy. And then the second hierarchy is the dominance, virtues, and the powers. Then you start getting down into the third hierarchy, which is the um, uh, archangels, angels, spirits, and intelligences. And beneath that, you have you know what they call the nature spirits. There's the and every culture had them. They said there were the sylphs for the air or the fairies. Some people called them. Uh, there were the undines for the water. Some people translate into the mermaids. And then there were the salamanders for the fire spirits. And then there was the air for the, or I'm sorry, the, the gnomes for, for the earth. And, um, you know, if you say this to a hard scientist, you know, he's going to waltz me to the door and call the guys in the white suits or right. describe Ritalin. Right? But, but the point is, is that quantum physics, even though they're not going there yet, they're saying something really intelligent must be happening behind matter or couldn't do what it does the way it does it. So, you know, science isn't the enemy either. It's it's just, I think, the human being's square box trying to put everything into a folder kind of thing, you know, looking at it from our intellectual linear left brain perspective. And it's important because you, you keep talking about the Vedas and on segment two of this show, and you'll know why, folks, why I decided to name the show Decoding the Future. We'll be talking a lot about 2012. But with everything you have researched, let's talk about this for a second. The Vedas and their cosmological calendar with four yugas. First, we have the Golden Age, where we commune with nature, the simple life, etc. Then as we continue to progress, we become materialistic, a greed that takes over, war mentality, until we get to the fourth cycle, the Kali Yuga. Is this where we are today, Jeff? Conflict over material things, environmental disasters. Is a new yuga or cycle about to start? Well, here's there's a lot of dissension on that opinion. I, for years I've been studying this, and there are some camps who say we are in Kali Yuga in an area about ready to go into a kind of a coming up for air um, consciousness. Then there's another camp that says, no, we're in Tetra Yuga. The problem is there is a lot of like for instance we actually don't get into the aquarian age until somewhere and there's dissension on this one too between 320 and 360 years from now and nobody's 100% sure see because it's based on where we are from the central sun 
And then there's a galactic center, and there's a dispute about where that is. You know, and then to throw another one in the mix, there is um, the theory of Planet X, which some people call Nibiru or Nibiru, which is uh, being cited by some folks say that NASA is not telling us that it's out, you know, orbiting around the sun right now, and it may pass back through, and if it does, it could cause a lot of havoc, both uh, in solar flares, and uh, it could really wreak some havoc on on the gravitational pull of the Earth. So, again, all this stuff, you know, you've got to be careful, though, because, they, they, you know, I've been hearing the end of the world for a long time, and it still hasn't happened. All right. And right now, if you had to pick anybody who's listening, uh, an area of priority worldwide, I would say, is the economic situation. How would you describe the current economic situation astrologically? I think we're in a tough spot. I, I think the systems, you know, I'm not a financial expert, but I, I actually was required, I was talking for a group of investors, and I, I had to do a lot of research. The astrology showed that the Saturn-Uranus opposition that we just got through last summer has basically weakened the entire worldwide banking system to a really uh, precarious state. And that's, if you speak to anyone who's knowledgeable about financial stuff, which, you know, again, I'm not a financial expert, but I can tell you, if you do any research, I mean, we don't need much to tell us that we're in serious trouble. And the, the MO of the Fed has been to just print more and they're devaluing the dollar. Well, what's interesting is there's something I started to mention earlier. There's something that the ancient uh, astrologers used called the Great Conjunctions. And I got exposed to this a number of years ago, but uh, they said approximately every 795 years, there was a major great, what they call the Great Conjunction. And this is uh, based on Jupiter and Saturn, but it's very special conditions. Uh, it's when Jupiter and Saturn joined at the beginning of Aries, which only happens, they, they believed it was 960, it's actually about just under 800. And then every 240 years, there's what we call the mutation conjunction, where the conjunctions happen in what we call the different elements, like earth, air, fire, and water. And then every 30 years, Mars and Saturn come together. Well, what's interesting is the last real biggie we had was the 1702 chart. And, you know, I looked at this with some skepticism at first, because I always like to see, you know, something correlate. And that's exactly when steam really was coming onto the scene. I mean, give or take. I mean, somebody may hear me and go look up and say, no, you know, steam was born on June or, you know, whatever, you know, the, the inventor. But in general, that's when the Industrial Revolution started happening. That's really when it started happening. And just shortly after that, if we just keep it broad here, Benjamin Franklin, you know, had started to come up with mass production. And, and you know, the whole Industrial Revolution basically got up and started moving from the early 1700s. So we just keep it simple. And even World War II and one shows up with these uh, mutation, or I should say the uh, what we call the least conjunctions, uh, which happen every 20 years. So if you go back, you know, we can't do this on a converse, uh, a recording like this, but we, we certainly 
the data is there that supports major changes in society seem to be pretty darn close, give or take. You know, the, the problem with history and news is it's usually um, you know, printed by some event that we can basically hang our hat on. But these definitely parallel major changes in society. Well, the next one coming up is 2020. In fact, uh, I wrote that down. The exact date uh, seems to be right around uh, this, the, the uh, winter solstice, December 21st of 2020. And that's when uh, things really shift. It, it's uh, Hold it right there. Hold it. I don't mean to interrupt you, but we have to take our one and only break. Uh, Jeff, on the second segments, folks, and you'll know again why we're calling this show Decoding the Future. We'll talk about more of the economy, what you can do to circumvent all this based on, on astrology, 2011, 2012, and much, much more. But first, Jeff, how do people get in touch with you and your work? Uh, the best way, they can either send email to jeff at jeffharman.com. That's H-E-R-M-A-N, just jeff at jeffharman.com. Or, you know, my phone numbers are on there, too. You can, they can call in. Either way works. Jeffharman.com is also posted on our website, on our link. A very fascinating subject, folks. First show of the year. Looking forward to 2011. Many people are doom and gloom. I see the glass half full. So with that perspective, we'll be right back with Jeff Harmon. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is James Gilliland, and you're listening to Veritas. 